Merry Christmas. It's good to be together for Christmas. You love the children's choir? So as a new church, just a couple years into this thing here in Boston, uh, you, you know you're a real church when you finally have a children's choir. That makes it official. And so we're, we're real now. We're a real church. We're here to stay. So Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can turn there. Uh, we have Bibles provided in the seats. If you don't have one at home, just take that one home. Merry Christmas. That's our gift to you. Uh, throughout the Christmas season, what we've been doing is we've been following eyewitness testimony through the Christmas story in the book of Luke. At the very beginning of the book, it opens by telling us about its origin uh, as a book. It tells us that there's this wealthy man, likely a, a political leader of some sort, named Theophilus, and he has been taught about this Jesus of Nazareth. He's heard that Jesus has uh, come to earth, done uh, some phenomenal miracles, been this astounding teacher that he died, and that people say that he resurrected uh, from the dead. And so Theophilus wants to be certain, and so he hires this man named Luke. Luke is a medical doctor. He's highly educated. If you look at the original language, he is very well-versed, a really gifted writer. He pays close attention to detail. And Theophilus would have funded Luke to really gather and do some research through a substantial season of his life so that he could then uh, compile uh, the, the narrative of the life and the ministry and the message of Jesus Christ. And so he would have taken oral written records. We see that he's taken some uh, from Mark. He would have interviewed eyewitnesses. He would have corroborated their stories to see what is, is true. He would have nailed down the timeline, and he would have determined the truth and then written the narrative of the life of Jesus, published this, passed it around so that if there was anybody who said, that's not true, that did not happen, they could speak up, they could write a rebuttal, but nobody did. This is the gospel according to Luke. Our text today might be very familiar to you uh, because it's the Charlie Brown text. It's the uh, Linus reads this in the Charlie Brown Christmas text, but also know that it's more than a cartoon. This is historically verifiable eyewitness testimony. And so what we've been doing each week throughout this Christmas season is we've been looking at eyewitness testimony uh, of the life of Jesus and the early stage here, the, the Christmas story. And this week's testimony comes from uh, the shepherds of the Christmas story, more than just guys with sticks, and they look really cute in the play when the kids dress up like them, but they are real live people. Luke did not necessarily, maybe, but not necessarily sit down with the shepherds for an interview like he would have with most likely Mary, but it's, it's very likely sat down with Mary, and Mary told to Luke what was told to her from the shepherds and their eyewitness. And so today we see what the, the shepherds saw. And what we're going to do is we're going to focus on today's candle theme, and that is peace. Today we get to focus in on peace. Whenever I, I preach, I, I pray, I search my heart, I do a lot of business with the Lord just to make sure that what I'm preaching is something that I have also learned and implemented in my own life. Uh, I want to make sure that I've worked through it and I'm not standing up here as a hypocrite. And so that being said, I have a confession to make as we talk about peace this morning. And let me just show it to you in a picture. I'm going to show you. This is our, the Wyatt family Christmas card this year. Cute, huh? They look peaceful. Looks like a happy family. Here's my confession. The card is a big lie. It's a, it's, a, it's a big lie. Seconds before the photos were taken, seconds after the photo was taken, no lie, the boys were wrestling 
on the ground in the front yard. Nora was screaming hysterically. My wife, the photographer, was completely stressed out because the preceding hour she had spent trying to put these clothes on our kids that they did not want to wear, and it was a complete mess. This was actually, I think, photo op number three or four for the month of November and December, and so it's been a lot a lot of work to get just what you have here. And I'll say this before any of you get offended and say, well, wait a second, I didn't get that card. Nobody did. Nobody got the card because we're not scheduled to receive them until December 24th. <laughs> because we were waiting for the perfect photo. We had to get that Pinterest quality photo that all of you guys have been showing us up with. We've been waiting for the perfect perfect photo. Um, I upset my wife because I was frustrated that it was one of the, you know, it was a politically correct card, happy holidays. And I said, listen, I, I get that, but I'm a Christian pastor. I think people would understand if it said Merry Christmas. But here was the deal. That back in the summer, she saw something on Groupon where you could get a, a bunch of cards for like 25 bucks and come time December to order the cards. You find out that there was no Merry Christmas. It was just Happy Holidays. And so I was really, really frustrated, but she wanted to, she wanted to spend uh, her Groupon because she had put money into it. And uh, I, I should have known enough just not to say anything. You know, she spent uh, four plus hours of all the photo opportunities together dressing our kids, taking pictures, only to get a picture that she wasn't satisfied with that won't land in your mailbox until like March. And so I should just, I should have known better. Do not open your mouth. Do not say anything. And I spoke and it definitely didn't lead to peace. And so today I'm tasked with preaching on peace on earth. And the truth is, I think many of us feel a pressure similar to that, whether it's to create the perfect Christmas card or to get the perfect Christmas gift. And so we spend crazy amounts of money and we'll bust through the doors on Black Friday or tomorrow and stress yourself out or to to create the perfect Christmas party or to create the best memory possible for the children. We just long for a season, right? Or maybe even for some of us, just give me a day of peace and of bliss and of all is calm, all is bright, all is well. And and so oftentimes the season that we really pursue peace becomes for us the exact opposite of peace. And the truth is, you know, it's probably true for us, you know, even even through the the bulk of the year as well, is that we we pursue peace, we work hard to to find it, but yet we don't find it. We, We struggle a bit. It's because we're trying to, to fabricate peace, trying to fabricate peace and oftentimes to no avail. And our, our inability to fabricate peace oftentimes becomes most visible around the Christmas time when we really put it up on a pedestal and pursue it and have no avail. And, and, and many of us are longing for peace in, in different types of areas in our lives. Some of you, you're longing for peace in your marriage. Some of you, you're longing for peace in your family or with your children, if they would just get along, love each other. Or maybe you're longing for peace in your singleness, like, God, I just, I need to be okay with this, or peace in your career, or peace in your personal finances, or peace in your friendships, or or maybe just peace in your heart. I just, I need peace. You struggle with depression, you struggle with anxiety, you struggle with some kind of emotional pain. And listen, we cannot fabricate 
And even if you think you have fabricated peace, what you're going to find is that it will not last. It's not going to last because we cannot fabricate the kind of peace that spans the seasons of life. And, and let, me give you, let me give you the gospel, the, the, the message of Jesus. And that's this, very simple. What we cannot do, Jesus does. What we cannot do, Jesus does. So we cannot live sinlessly, Jesus lives sinlessly. We cannot love people perfectly, Jesus loved people perfectly. We cannot earn God's favor, Jesus does this for us. We cannot fabricate lasting peace. The peace that is lasting is the peace that comes through the Lord Jesus. And for many of us today, deep within us, we're longing for peace, and the answer is Jesus. So look with me at Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7. And I just want to give us some context before we get into the eyewitness testimony of the shepherds. But Luke chapter 2, we'll go 1 through 7 to start it out here. It says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, so she had more children, her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. So a very familiar passage to most of us, I would imagine. Caesar Augustus issues this decree. This is Caesar of the Roman Empire, issues this decree that the entire Roman Empire must be registered in a census. So go in, check in. Everybody must go to their hometown, no matter how far away it is, you must go to the town of your roots and you must check in. So Joseph and Mary have, at this point, both seen angels telling them that Mary will conceive, that she will have a child, though she is a virgin, that Joseph, no, she didn't cheat on you. This is a miracle of God. Stay with her. Name this child Jesus. This is the long-awaited Savior. This is the Messiah. And Israel and Mary and Joseph have anticipated this virgin. It's been prophesied about. They've anticipated this, this child. He's been prophesied about throughout the scriptures. And so this child they're waiting for is the one who's going to bring salvation to the nations. And they get word, he's here and it's through you. Joseph, we read here, is of the lineage of David, so he must go to the town of David, which is Bethlehem, and he brings Mary along with him. We could speculate as to why he brought Mary along with him. Maybe it was to pull her away from the, the, the difficulty of being in Nazareth and saying that you're a virgin, and people being like, yeah, right, you're crazy. Or maybe it was because they knew it was time for her to, to be with child, and so he wanted to bring her along. Nonetheless, it's quite a journey, and it's crazy that she comes along. But they land in Bethlehem, and it's time for the baby to be born, which is fulfilling the prophecy of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Here's what it says. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So, Bethlehem is where the Messiah is to be born. They would have known that. We need to see that God is moving throughout history. He's prompting Caesar, Caesar Augustus, to demand a a, a census, which would have moved the Messiah's birth into Bethlehem 
as prompted, God is appointing the rise and fall of kings and, and kingdoms as we read through the scriptures. And so at the demand of Caesar, they go. And even this demand for the census from Caesar really shows to us just the lack of peace among the nation, among the people, the, the, the turmoil, that they had to go all the way to Bethlehem under the command of Rome. This is an 85 to 90 mile journey. That's Boston to Springfield, Massachusetts. Not on the Mass Pike, through rough terrain, on foot and likely donkey. Listen, my wife, during her third trimester of all three pregnancies, refused to get in the car. Like, please don't make me get in the car. I mean, I just imagine even trying to drive. You know, your belly's up against the wheel, so you've got to push back, but your arms aren't long enough, so you're kind of doing this number. She hated driving during the third trimester. Can you imagine 85 to 90 miles mandatory third trimester of pregnancy? just gives you a glimpse of the oppression and of the, the turmoil and the, the lack of national peace that the people had. And we read upon the arrival, she goes into labor, and you know the story. There's no room for them at the inn. All the inns would have been full because so many people are flocking to Bethlehem for uh, registration in the census. And somehow they end up in this stable. And she delivers the child among animals. She wraps him in cloth. She lies him in a manger, a feeding trough of animals. And as we've talked about throughout this entire Christmas season is how spectacular it is that God would come to earth in this humble way. It shows us that nobody is untouchable. It shows us that none of you are too far gone for God, unworthy for God, that God comes into earth in such a humble, lowly way. He doesn't go straight to the kings. He doesn't go straight to uh, the spiritual leaders. He goes to lowly people from a small town in Nazareth. And today we see him go to the shepherds. Let's read on. Luke 2, 8 through 12. It says, in the same region, so nearby, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with them a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. We'll stop Right here, Luke tells us about these shepherds. They're out in the field at night keeping watch over their flock. It probably seemed like just another night for these guys. They were, they were very humble fellows just living uh, among smelly sheep, likely picking bugs out of the wool of the sheep, uh, just, just working with these animals. This was bottom of the corporate ladder kind of work. These were undervalued people. These were under, uh, under um, cared for people. People just kind of let them go do their thing. They didn't have a lot of relationship in the community. On top of that, uh, they, they couldn't go to the temple for feast and for sacrifices because they couldn't leave their flock, and so their spiritual devotion fell short. Uh, it, was, it was subpar, and so people looked down on them for that. They were also known for not being exactly law-abiding Citizens, they couldn't legally give testimony in in court. These were the lowest of the low. They were the last people that you would imagine hearing the news of the long-awaited Messiah coming straight to them first. 
But think back through biblical history. Moses, shepherd. King David, shepherd. The prophet Amos, shepherd. And today, we call Jesus Christ the chief shepherd, the lead pastor of our church. These guys were lowly, lowly dudes. And yet, God announces it to them. And this is maybe many of us in the room today. Maybe you just kind of feel not qualified, underqualified to be used of God. Perhaps you feel like, you know, I got myself into this mess, this lack of peace that I, I feel in my life. Some of you would maybe admit, like, hey, I, I, I did this to myself, stupid decisions. I, I did it to my, myself. But God still wants to offer you today peace. He comes to the shepherds. These guys uh, were not uh, really strong in school. It was, it was their fault. They earned uh, a bad reputation because they weren't abiding by the law. And so that was, it was their fault. But yet God comes to them and offers them peace. Offers them this great news. They're hanging out and suddenly it says an angel right in front of them. And it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. We have no idea. I mean, no idea what that could have possibly been like. Just crazy. And then the angel says to them what? It says, fear not. So that tells you something. That it wasn't, you know, a beautiful angel floating and you're just like, I just want to hug you and, and swim in the clouds with you. It was horrifying, right? This is, what is going on right now? It was spectacular. And the angel says, fear not, as the angels often do throughout the scriptures. Fear not. I know you've never seen anything like this, but this is not a bad visit. This is a good visit. This is joy for all people. God has been moving heaven and earth to bring about the birth of the long-awaited Savior. And then the angel describes the scene that we read in verses 1 through 7. says, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in manger. And that's what they eventually will go and find. We'll talk about that on Christmas Eve. But can you imagine the honor that filled their heart when it clicked. This is about the Messiah. And we get this announcement. Can you imagine the honor that filled their hearts after nobody else throughout their life, nobody else cares about them. They're unworthy. They're undervalued. You're a loser. Can't believe you couldn't pass that that class, that grade in school. And yet, God comes to them. And imagine the hope as well that they start to fill up with when they realize, and the Messiah is here, and that he's going to bring joy and hope and peace, and all of our lack of joy and lack of hope and lack of peace will be done away with. And some of us in here, maybe we really get it. We really understand personally, very personally, just the lack of hope and a lack of joy and a, and a lack of peace. You understand and know personally just inner turmoil within your soul. You, you get that right out of the gate. Others of us, maybe we're struggling to, to really connect there. Maybe you've been doing a really good job at masking it, but I'm telling you this, is that when your world starts to crumble from underneath, like one of our ladies in our own midst happened to her this morning, tragedy or death or job loss or cancer or broken relationship or personal failure or financial failure, it starts to become clear. That's why in some respects, tragedy and and death and job loss and struggle and failure can actually be a good thing at times because it forces us to see our frailty. 
And it forces us to see that what we thought was strength and peace was fabricated peace, and it falls apart. And this picture-perfect life that we pull together is unstable and not lasting. And in those moments, oftentimes, by God's grace, we learn to find peace, true, lasting peace in Christ. And I pray that wherever you're at today, that you would find peace in Christ, that you would find the peace of Christmas. Some of you, I know I need it. Others of us, I pray that you would lean on Christ before it all falls apart, as it will happen to all of us in some way, sometime in our life. We get to this moment. Here it comes, Luke 2, 13 and 14. Let's read it. The angels in front of them. The glory of the Lord is around them. And suddenly was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the announcement to the shepherds gets bigger in an instant. Just gets huge. And this multitude of angels fill the sky and start praising the Lord, singing to the Lord. Literally multitudes, meaning angel armies, armies and armies and armies of of angels filling the sky, multitudes of them. And the shepherds hear the angels repeat over and over and over again, glory to God in the highest, 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 and on earth, Peace, peace on earth, peace on earth, peace on earth with those whom he is pleased. And it just fills their, fills their mind and fills their hearts. And they're saying God is going to be glorified. And here's how he's going to be glorified, by bringing peace to people. God will be glorified by bringing peace to people. Because only God can bring peace to people. I hope you know that only God can bring true and lasting peace. Have you tried? I've tried. Have you tried to bring peace? We all kind of take various approaches to finding inner peace. It looks different in different seasons of life, different ages. So as a child, longing for Christmas morning, and in about 10 minutes, you rip open your presents and proves unsuccessful but then we grow up and it becomes the gadgets and the tvs and the home and the car the success but it will prove unsuccessful and many of us say okay i get that i'm not that shallow i I understand and so we pursue it through maybe a relationship you complete me right you find significance and and a spouse another person a child even i can just have the child the family but you'll find that it proves unsuccessful. They will fail you at some point. Maybe for you, you've read some kind of article or some kind of book, and you say, oh, this is so good. Just the thinking here. Maybe it's an ideology or a a self-help kind of idea concept. Or maybe it's a religion, and they prove unsuccessful. The multitude of angels declare God is going to be glorified in this, that God brings peace. Only God can bring peace. And it's coming through this child. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, The child who is to be born is the prince of peace. Prophecy says that he will be the prince of peace, Jesus. And so as we read through the scriptures, we learn a little bit more about the peace 
that he brings. And I just want to take the, the next little while together just to give you quickly three aspects of the peace that he brings. Jesus brings us three different aspects of peace that I want to walk you through this morning. The first one is, is this. The first one is he brings you peace with God. We get peace with God, first of all. Here's, here's the truth. The Bible will plainly tell us this, that every person on this planet, myself included, every person on this planet is affected by sin. It's like a disease. It runs deep. It's unstoppable. It's a cancer. It destroys us. And sin is essentially us saying to God that I can do this life apart from you. I'm going to live my own life. Yeah, I know that you created me. You breathed into me the breath of life. But I'm going to do this apart from you. And for some of us, it's blatant. But for others of us, maybe it's a little bit more subtle. Pride. Life is about me. It's all about me, not God. Maybe it's lust. I want something, someone more than God, more than anything. I just have to to get it. Maybe it's anxiety. I've got to manage it. It's going to fall apart. And you're saying, God, you don't have this. Romans chapter 6, 23 tells us this. The wage of sin is death. What we earn, the wage, think minimum wage, what we earn is death. Because with our sin, we put ourselves at odds with holy and righteous and perfect and just God who created us for a relationship with him. And we say, I don't need you. I don't need your breath of life that you breathed into me. And so the wage is death. Put ourselves at odds with our creator. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, 19 through 20. Here's what it says. It says, for in him, Jesus All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So in him, Jesus is the fullness of God. You ever wonder what God God would look like if he was walking in our shoes? It's called, it's Jesus. He's he's God in the flesh. In him, the fullness of God is pleased to to dwell. And it says that that he, he reconciles us. He reconciles us. He he made peace through the blood of Jesus. We have peace because of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the the cross, that Jesus lived perfectly in our shoes, the life that we could never live. He died the death that we deserve on the cross, taking our punishment for us, absorbing the wrath of God. He took the fall for our relational conflict with God and Through that, we are reconciled through Jesus. He resurrects them to life victoriously, reigning victorious over Satan's sin and death. Death cannot hold him. This is Jesus. And so peace with God comes by way of the blood shed on the cross. Over the past few weeks, there's been a lot of talk about Nelson Mandela. Recent passing. He was a man who ushered in democracy and he ushered in Peace for South Africa it was an extraordinary life, bringing about peace out of crazy conflict. But let me, let me say something here. The greatest conflict is one of eternal proportions, and that's the conflict between you and God. That's the conflict between me and God. But know this, the cross 
is the greatest peace treaty ever known. Cross is the greatest peace treaty ever known. He bridges a relationship between us and God by hanging on the cross and spilling his blood. That's what Jesus does. He reconciles us to God. But it's not automatic. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 will tell us, therefore, since we have been justified by, what's the word? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. So we must exercise faith. We must trust in Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. And we've, we have to say yes to the cross. I, I recognize I'm sinful. I recognize that somebody had to pay the price, and Jesus paid the price. I trust in that. Some of us have spent our lives trying to reconcile, trying to make things right between us and God, maybe trying to pay him back by our good deeds. But the scriptures make it really clear. You cannot earn God's favor. That's called fabricated peace. Thinking, hoping, I'm good enough. You cannot earn God's favor. Peace comes by faith. Ephesians will tell us so that no one can boast. You can't think I'm good enough. That's what creates uh, religious, self-absorbed people looking down their nose at others. Well, I've been good enough. I've earned this. No, you haven't. None of us have. Jesus earned it by dying on the cross. Peace comes by who? comes by Jesus. Faith in Jesus. So Jesus brings us, first of all, peace with God. The second thing that he does is he brings us peace within. Peace of Jesus is peace within. I'll never forget talking with my friend Karen as she battled breast cancer. And just talking to her, I remember, I'll never forget this conversation because I was looking her in the face and talking to her. She had a silk uh, scarf wrapped around her head because she had lost her hair uh, in her treatment. And I remember saying, Karen, you have been so poised through this whole battle. I'm so, just so honored to, to know you. And she said, and Josh, I remember looking around at other Christians and seeing how they could go through some struggles and thinking, I could never do that. I would just fall apart. And then she said, but God gives you the peace that you need to get through whatever trial you enter into. You've heard it before. I quote it all the time. Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7 says this. Be anxious for what? For nothing. But in everything with prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. That means you're giving it all to God. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love this. The peace of God that surpasses understanding. The peace of God that just doesn't make sense. Karen, how can you go through this and be so collected and so poised in the midst of all this and just so, uh, just at peace in all of this? And she says, it's Jesus. He just gives me the peace that I need. That deep internal peace comes when you trust in Jesus and you say, he's got me. He's got me. He's in control. You don't live in anxiety. You give it to God, and you trust him, and you receive peace. Even Jesus, uh, if you remember, he, he says this. He says, don't fear the person who can destroy your body. Like, okay, kill me. He says, fear the one who can cast it into hell. Here's what he's saying is this. He's saying, listen, listen I've got you eternally. That's what you need to worry about. That's what you need to consume yourself. That's how Christians can stand in the face of persecution and say, go ahead, I'm not renouncing my Lord Jesus. That's how 45 Syrian Christians can go through mass murder and not renounce the Lord. 
through peace that passes all understanding. It just doesn't make sense. We can have peace in the face of death. Found out this week that uh, some of us in here know a man named Scott, just diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. It's spread into his lung. It's just the worst kind. It's just rapidly destroying his body right now. And yet, in this first week of this news, just the, the peace in God and the trust in God that he has, or peace with your family, parents in here, trust my, my God has my kids because I mess up. I'm not a perfect parent, but my God has my kids, peace with my my finances, things don't make sense, but God's going to provide. I'm looking around the room and seeing some faces in here where I know story after story after story where I don't know how God is going to pull this one off, but he pulls it off. And he does that. Peace with your career direction. I don't know what's next, but I, I trust God. Peace with your health. Peace with the health of your loved ones. It comes from the Lord. Peace within, peace that doesn't make any sense. It passes all understanding. And God wants that for you. He doesn't want you to live with a life of of turmoil. He wants you to trust in Christ. And here's the the last piece that I just want to look at is this. It's peace eternal. It's that peace, it's it's eternal. And here's what's so unique about this peace. Here's what makes it, it true peace is that it's not contingent upon man. Instead, it's on God. The, the peace that we try to create, it's flaky, falls apart pretty quickly. God's word is, is solid and secure. We're not talking about the Middle East kind of peace, where you make these treaties and give it a few months, it'll break, falls apart. We're talking about the peace of God that is solid, that is secure. It's peace that is contingent upon the Lord, an unchanging God, not an ever-changing people who we ride the waves of our emotions all the time, and we can go from hugging and kissing and making up to screaming at each other in a few days, and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Listen to Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus the Christ. Isaiah 9, 6-7, he says this. You've heard it. It's a famous Christmas passage. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now listen to this about peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It's eternal. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God will bring about this peace through Jesus. Jesus is the prince of peace. As the prince, the the king, there will be no end to his peace. He is the top one over all of this. The Bible tells us that he is already king. He's seated because it's finished. It's as good as done. So it's as good as done, but we're increasingly seeing the kingdom of God realized until the day that will come where every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess, Scripture tells us, that Jesus is Lord. And the peace of God will, at that time, be in the hearts of all people who have placed faith in him. There will be no more conflict. There will be no more strife between people, between nations, no more. And it's going to last forever, it says, forever. And so, today... 
in the midst of whatever it is that you're, you're going through or have been through. You can have peace with God, be made right with God. You can have peace within. means that when things come your way that are crazy, you can still trust in the Lord. doesn't mean that you don't have difficulty and struggle and you break down and cry. That happens. But there's this undergirding peace that passes all understanding, this trust in the Lord that he's got me. And we long for the day when he comes. Again, the second advent. We've been celebrating advent. We long for the second advent where we see that peace fully, completely, totally realized. And it moves from just within us and among us to it covers the the world. When the new Jerusalem comes and the new heavens, the new earth come. And so the, the peace that was announced to the shepherds in this humble situation because of the advent, the first coming of Jesus. It's available to every single one of us among those who he is pleased with. And as we looked at that word favor a couple weeks ago with Mary, we realized that word favor is talking about unmerited favor. It's not that he chose you because you deserved it. He offers peace with you because of his grace. He offers you favor because of his grace. That it's not I'm good enough, it's Jesus is good enough. I can trust in him. And so here's how I want to close. I want to close by inviting us to, to find peace with God through the Lord Jesus. and Through the blood shed on the cross. And some of us have never given our lives to Christ and now is the time for that. Now is the time to say yes to him and to receive peace that passes all understanding. doesn't mean difficulty is gone. It means that you have a rock through the difficulty, that you trust in him through thick and thin because you know that on the other side you're with him for all eternity. And he's with you through it here. So I, I call some of us today for the first time to turn from sin and turn to Jesus and say yes to Jesus. It's available to all of you who would place faith in Christ. For the Christians in the room, I want to give you this scripture. Later on in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, listen to what it says. It says, You, God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Listen, memorize that verse. That God will keep you in perfect peace as you fix your mind on the Lord and as you trust in the Lord. Some of us need to fix our attention again on the Lord. And maybe as we close in prayer and as we close in song, just fix your attention on the Lord and find great peace in that and seeing him, seeing who he is and what he's done and the stability that comes in Christ. I'll say one more thing, and that is this. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. So believers, it's our responsibility to be peacemakers. doesn't mean that we walk around and fabricate peace. It means we walk around and we give the formula to peace, and that is Jesus. We share Christ with other people. Paul will say it this way. He says we have the ministry of reconciliation. There's that word again. That we need to help people to be reconciled with God. The term that we use as a church is connect Boston to Christ. 
that they would see that as they connect with Christ, they're restored to right relationship with God. And so believers, that's our responsibilities to be peacemakers, ministers of reconciliation on this earth. And so we close. Some of you today call upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible says you will be saved. As you say, I see my need for the cross and the blood that was shed. I trust in that. I trust in Jesus. I turn from sin. I turn to Jesus. In the best way you know how, you call out to him and be restored and have a relationship with the Lord. And no one can snatch that away from you. And Christians, fix your eyes on him again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word that you have given us. Your scripture is perfect. We are in deep need to be reminded over and over and over and over and over again of the gospel, the good news of Jesus doing what we cannot do, creating peace. Thank you, Lord, that you would see us in our humble state and you would enter into this mess and bring about restoration and peace and hope. Thank you. And God, we pray today that if there are people who have not turned to Jesus, that they would do so in this moment and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, be made right. I pray for Christians in this room, Lord, that they would trust in you. They would fix their eyes on you yet again. And that they would be stayed on you. And you would keep them in that perfect peace. I pray that Christians would take on their responsibility to be ministers of reconciliation, peacemakers on earth, and sharing the hope of Christ. Lord, do this work. In order for this to happen, we need you, Holy Spirit, to move in our midst and in our hearts. We need you to remind us of the things that we have been taught because it's so easy to drift. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this good news of peace on earth. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.